0: Hey everybody, it's Miss Arizona USA 2012, Erica Franzwe, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo.
1: Hey, everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to season two of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly, how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today was Miss Arizona USA 2012, and she was also an NCAA women's basketball player at Regis University. And she double majored in political science and international relations at Arizona State University. She also hosts a weekly podcast called Midweek Rise Up, which is released every Wednesday to provide you that deep breath of God's got this. Each episode is intentionally and prayerfully crafted with words of encouragement to push you, biblical leadership to challenge you, and God breathed scripture to posture your heart for the best that's yet to come. Aside from her career in the entertainment industry, Erica's most passionate about her global ministry work and sustainable clothing line called Proclaim Streetwear. Currently, she's pursuing a doctorate of education in Christian leadership and is a fellow of the Falkirk Center at Liberty University. I've had numerous influencers contact me and say, you know what, you've got to have this girl on your podcast. She's a rock star. So happy to have Erica Franzve here with me today. Welcome to Life After the Crown.
0: You're awesome, Tim. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. I'm pumped oh to be on here with
1: you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So I guess let's talk about Miss Arizona USA. I mean, this is, you know, that's your pageant history. There's so much more to talk oh, about. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, you have such a unique background. What, what got you into pageants? You.
0: Great question. Um, I had got something in the mail and received it. I think it was 2009, I believe, or 2010. I had received something in the mail and it was basically saying, you've been nominated to, you know, come and be, I don't know, compete for the pageant. And I was, looked at my mom and I was like, I play basketball. This is not something that I would <laughs> ever really do. And my mom was like, just try it. It might be fun. Anyways, tried it the first time, ended up getting first runner up. And then You get that, you get bit by that pageant bug, and then you're like, you know what? I'll do it again. And so I did it again, and I won. And from there, it turned into this amazing, fun, crazy whirlwind uh, that actually turned into an amazing bonding experience with my mom. But yeah, that's kind of how it was just kind of thing that landed in my mailbox.
1: <laughs> well, coming from the, you know, the world of basketball, and I've talked to so many competitors who, you know, they've transitioned from, let's just take basketball as an example, or maybe volleyball. Right. And, you know, they got that uh, piece of mail and they were like, hell okay. no, this is not right. me. I'm a jock. It's not going to happen. I'm not <laughs> exactly. a pretty girl. Uh, what exactly. made you make the jump?
0: Great question. So I had started a nonprofit called Everyday Heroes Like You when I was in high school, and my mom had told me, you know, you can't be Mother Teresa, you can't save everyone, but I wanted to create an organization that was ambiguous enough to be able to help where I saw that there was a need. And so when that came in the mail, I thought to myself, okay, I I did research because I'm I love researching things. So research everything about the pageants, the title holders, what it all entails. And what I fell in love with was the fact that you had an opportunity to platform a philanthropic endeavor of yours or support a philanthropic or an organization that you, you know, were really passionate about. And to me, that was what was so exciting was that opportunity rather than the photo shoots and the gowns and the clothing and all that other stuff. So to me, it was more of an opportunity to take those 365 days to be able to make a difference rather than, um, you know, overbook yourself with all the other things of vanity.
1: <laughs> Did you know you were so photogenic? I mean, I you know, a lot of times when you play a sport, I mean, the only time you, you see a picture of yourself is in the in the program. But, you know, now you're out taking pretty right. pictures.
0: <laughs> you're sweet. Uh, you know, it's that... The, that's something I actually never really thought about. <laughs> uh, you know, immediately, you know, when I was little, I was 13, and my mom, we were at, a, at one of my basketball practices and scrimmages, and there was a, a commercial group that was filming a Nike commercial at that same gym, and they saw me shooting around, and, and they had me sign a waiver, and they were like, hey, you'd be great for this Nike commercial for these young kids. My mom was like, "Yeah, really? Should we try it?" And so I, I, mean, I got thrown into that. And then so I don't know. I don't know. That's a really great question. I have no idea. I yeah, sure. It's, <laughs> photos
1: are fun. <laughs> I, I love, You're like, I don't think so, but hey, will go with it.
0: Yeah, photos so, are fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so you go from Regis to his Arizona State. You double major in political science and international relations. Um, what exactly was your career path? What did you really want to be at that time?
0: Right. So when I had first started going to college, my original degree was entrepreneurship. And it was because I got to watch my mother just break through so many glass ceilings to the point where there was just glass on her shoulders. And she has had her own company for over 30 years. And she's worked with all different types of companies ranging from, you know, like large, massive companies to Department of Energy and, and DOD and everything else here in DC. In and for me just watching that it really inspired me to be able to understand that, hey, I come from a bloodline of entrepreneurs, even with my dad's side of the family. Uh, so I thought that my original route in school was to learn about the business side of things and, and being an entrepreneur and all that stuff. And then after actually going to school for it and listening to my professors speak, I really realized that my my greatest textbook was my parents and their company and their success versus, and, and forgive me, I, I do appre- appreciate professors, but versus professors who did not have a company that they were running and they were just re- regurgitating talking points from a textbook, teaching me about how to run a business versus hearing from my parents. So after I had left Regis, because I was no longer playing basketball, I uh, actually took a side route and went to Loyola Marymount University in LA to pursue modeling and changed my career path, if you will, when I went to that university to political science and international relations and then stuck with that through uh, ASU.
1: So speaking of political Science, um, and maybe yes. I'll tie this into the pageant world a little bit. You competed in 2012. Um, obviously, a, a little bit different time for pageants. It wasn't completely different, <laughs> but, um, you know, things have evolved. I feel evolved like it was,
0: the, it was the glory days.
1: <laughs> it was. It, it, it was, was definitely the
0: Glamazons still roamed. <laughs> it,
1: it, was, it was a glamour time. It was, you know, ratings were higher, et cetera. Trump owned the whole deal. But I, I guess, you know, from exactly. what you see today, and how political mm-hmm. correctness has seeped its way into the pageant world. Um, I guess what are your thoughts, you know, for somebody who has studied and kind of is part of the political world in some way.
0: You know, the thing that's really interesting about the pageants these days is I feel that it's almost turned into what is your story, which is fine. I understand we all have a story, we all have a testimony. I think it's very important. I'm not I'm not misconstruing that, but what I'm meaning is 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 that it almost becomes this Competition of who has the best story—that it's it's where it's overemphasized and elaborated instead of focusing on okay, I got through that, and now here's what I'm doing. It's almost as if they're stuck in that one portion of their life and really pushing that as their identity, rather than saying you know I got through this, it made me who I am today. Moving forward onto other topics, uh, rather than having it just solely solely identify you, but it's it's different than how it was when when I competed from the standpoint of it was just back then it was I don't know I guess it was the birthing time of political correctness when I was competing because I don't remember even when we were doing our questions I remember getting the topics of gay marriage and all that stuff and I'll I'll never forget Don Baker that's his name right he passed away yeah he was phenomenal the interview coach he would always say and you die and it was like the best thing that I always held on to because it was like when you're asked those questions whether that's about gay marriage or or your political views or anything like that I noticed that a lot of the girls who had the not the most successful careers but the ones that have furthered themselves were the ones that didn't have these you know set responses to those questions they were ones that were like you know what this is what I believe this is what I was raised with these are my values and my convictions and this is what I Stand on versus, like, let me try to use this as a platform to influence you and, and have you feel bad for me and, and be on my side with something. So, I guess all that to say is back then, I think we were just, we just owned it. Like, we weren't afraid to say something that would put us in a box and we wouldn't be able to be the pageant title holder that we wanted to be. Uh, we just kind of voiced our opinion in a way that was polite. Uh, but also very firm in what our beliefs were unwaveringly.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, to expand on what you said, I I have had a lot of girls approach me and say, you know, I feel like that if I don't have a story of adversity, that I've been through some terrifically or horrific exactly, challenges in my life, that exactly. I don't have a chance, you know, because a lot of them are <laughs> exactly. like, I haven't had a terrible life. I've, I've had good parents. <laughs> I, I had know. a good upbringing. You know, we're not broke. Um, I haven't, right. you know, been in a car accident or, you know, I don't have this skin color and, I, you know, and they get, right. they they almost get depressed about competing because right. they're like, I just don't think I'm going to be able to go anywhere because I don't have that.
0: Well, and two, it's a marketing thing. I mean, I, I think back then when Trump owned the pageant, it wasn't, sure, ratings were, were a priority, but we already knew we would get the top ratings, So we weren't worried about that. But now I think the day and age that we're in especially with the with IMG that owns a portion of it. I think that too, they have to be very cognizant of their demographic and the type of clientele and customers that they have to serve with their, not only title holders that sign with them, but also their other talent uh, that they represent. And I think it's one of those things where they, they kind of have to play that line and they kind of have to make it appealing to everyone to the point where they water it down so much that it kind of loses its, it's glam of all of it. I can't even describe it. It's, it's, it's hard to explain because for people who haven't been involved in it, that you see it from the outside, they might think, oh, here's another pageant, you know, here's another pageant girl. And they kind of clump us all together. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of different layers to it.
1: Well, as you have graduated from pageantry, I, I guess looking back, you know, to 2012, 2013, as you got out of it and now, you know, have a mm-hmm. few years of experience under your belt in the professional world, what did pageantry really do for you?
0: Pageants really taught me to have a thick skin and a soft heart because whether that's the message boards that would tear people apart, they'd always say, don't read the message boards. And the first thing you do, obviously, is read the message boards. And you're like <laughs> looking through them. Uh, so th- that, obviously, um, you know, really gives you a taste of, of what had the vicious side, I guess you could say, of the pageant. And then also to, for me, what afterwards, I really realized the fact that you are, and I'm not trying to diminish the fact of being a title holder, but for that short amount of time, you're a hometown hero. You know, you have these autographs, you have all this stuff going on, you have these photo shoots, you have double booked events, you're going to all these different parties and whether that's political or local Um, and, and you're really heavily involved in the community and then all of a sudden it just stops and it's just quiet and no one's calling your phone anymore and no one's wanting to have you at their events and all you have is this you know plastic rhinestone crown in your closet turning black and so you're just you know sitting there realizing the the vapor and all of it. And, um, for me, it was one of those, cause I had that experience. I went through that. Uh, and for me it was one of those things where it really taught me that obviously that there's a a futility to it, but at the same time to really embrace that that moment of your life and, and get as much as you can out of it from the standpoint of the people that you're supposed to meet, you know, you learn so much about yourself. You have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to engage with, with people and, and in a way that's inspiring and uplifting and empowering, uh, but it also teaches you how to deal with with the feet that's completely out of your hands. That is so heavily based on something as simple as what you look like and you know how what you you know what's on a piece of paper and what you look like in photographs. So it's a really interesting dynamic of learning to have a thick skin and a soft heart, but also being able to. Surpass after Miss USA and be able to literally recreate yourself in a way after the pageant so that you're not stuck in those glory days where you continue to look back and be like, Oh, that, those were the days. That's when I was my best shape. That was when I did this, that was it. And then like posting photos of like, Oh, TBT when I was thin and a size four and all this stuff. And now you're like doing something totally opposite of what you originally wanted to do. I think we just get bit by this this bug of fame so quickly and so temporarily that we get attached to that and then we start seeking that and we start running after that. So it really teaches you, you know, reality in all of this and how much that crown really doesn't define you and you really have to put everything into perspective afterwards.
1: I love that message. So as things have changed over the years now, and, and we just mm-hmm. talked about kind of the current state of pageantry, if somebody comes up to you and asks you, you know, I'm thinking about competing in a pageant. What would, what would you say to them at this point? Uh,
0: I would say do it. I would never tell someone not to do something. I mean, obviously, <laughs> that comes with restrictions. <laughs> I would never tell them not to do something that they feel that they're called to do or that they feel that's placed on their heart for a reason. Uh, and I would never tell someone to not do something if it was a passion of theirs that they've been looking forward to because everyone's experience is different. Everyone will get something else out of it. Um, no, no two pageant girls are the same. And um, what I love is that when you're competing, and I know I'm sure you've heard this before, I'm sure you've heard girls say this before, is that you're not competing with the girl next year. you. are competing with with yourself. And if you keep that mentality, it gets you it gets you a lot further than getting stuck in the mental space of things. But I, I would I would I would encourage them to do it. I mean, why not? I would tell them it's really expensive, <laughs> so make sure that you are ready for that. Uh, gowns are outrageously expensive and same with you know makeup lessons and all these things that no one really talks about uh, but no it, it it's an opportunity that I think really you know puts life in a perspective of what your goals are and what you want to do and if it falls into alignment of what you want great but if you're looking at it and wanting to do it because you want to be famous you're doing you're not that's not right that's not the, I would say no if that's your if that's your motivation to be famous or to you um, you know, not to have a servant's heart with the title, I would say don't
1: do it. Amen to that. Well, as you have evolved into your professional career, um, you know, as with, you know, many title holders, media or on-camera work tends to become part of that. Um, I know you've done some posting, (laughs) but um, you have a podcast, which we talked about in the intro called Midweek Rise Up. Um, I love yeah. what it's about. So, uh, rather than me talk about <laughs> it, you. I would, if you could just kind of tell everybody about it and why you created it,
0: right? For sure. So, you're, you're, it's so funny you say that because it's so true. I mean, I currently live with my roommate who was Miss North Carolina two thousand twelve. And we competed together, and it's so funny because we always laugh about how right after the pageant, it's one of those things where the pageant excels you, but also really holds you back. Like, we didn't have the opportunities to do internships like other people because we were too busy preparing for Miss USA. We didn't have the opportunities to do certain things because we were so caught up thinking, okay, after Miss USA, we'll move to LA and we'll become, you know, famous because our agent is going to book us for XYZ, and then we'll somehow get on a reality TV show. And then from there, dah, dah, dah. so it's like,
1: <laughs> I've heard this you go before. Through this whole,
0: yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like a recipe book on how to be a pageant girl. Post crown is like having being, you know, someone from the entertainment industry reaching out to you being like, hey, have you ever thought of being on Survivor? And you're like, no, I actually haven't. And I'm <laughs> not eating locusts for dinner, but sure, let's try it because you want to be famous. So it's, it's one of those um, interesting things that afterwards, you know, you like I said, you're, you're, you think that fame and all that stuff is something that lives on. Uh, so for me, the podcast is something that actually came up really late in this whole process. <laughs> it just happened. I just started it, I want to say, back in August. And it was something I really battled with, I'll be honest with you, because the po- podcast space is very saturated. And you really have to know what your message is in, in that arena. And it's it's like, why, why does someone want to listen to you? Like you have the perfect podcast because everyone wants to know about like the, the pageant world is like a, a world of unicorns. Like a lot of people <laughs> don't understand. And they want to be able to understand like what our thought process, process is for even wanting to be wearing a bikini on stage on national television. I'm running all this for, for <laughs> Exactly. But for uh, for this. In particular, I went through a very interesting deep dive stage where, as a female Christian, there are different layers and levels to what people think. It's kind of a twofold thing. For instance, women are—it depends on, I guess, which um, denomination you follow—but women are not traditionally supposed to be pastors or preachers. And if they are, they're held to, I feel, as if they're held to a different standard— if they were just to be these Pinterest Christians where they get their, you know, Bible quotes off of Pinterest, and then they post it on social media and think, okay, that's good. But then they're also taking scripture completely out of context. So for me, it was one of those things where I really prayed on it. I fasted over it. I I asked some of my closest mentors about it. And I decided that not only would I start the podcast, but, I would start the podcast in conjunction with getting my doctorate of education and Christian leadership because I wanted to be able to share with other people what I was learning from my, what I was learning in school. So it wasn't just this, you know, rah, rah, you know, God's got this. It was actually scripture based. It was actually something that challenges people to be leaders. It was actually something to encourage them, to push them in a way that had scripture background to it and not just, you know, the prosperity gospel of, you know, if you pray this seven times and you do the Hail Mary and all this stuff, like you too will have $15 million in your bank account. If you just manifest it, like there's, it's so much more. And I think there's so much, so much within the Bible that a lot of people don't take the time to dig into, whether that's even just taking one word and spending literally a week on just digging into what that one word means, whether that's in the Greek language in Bible or Old Testament, New Testament, and really digging into that. And I just wanted to be able to deliver it in a way that was fun and exciting and palpable and, and, and something that people could hold on to and be like, you know what, I learned something new today within under 10 minutes and that was another thing i didn't want it to be a, a long podcast i wanted it to be something that people could listen to on the subway because i live in manhattan it's like you have 10 or 15 minutes just pop something on while you're taking your you know daily commute and make it easy and something lighthearted and encouraging on dates that seem a little bit tougher than others
1: well everything you brought up there is super interesting because i you know there was one line that you said in there that totally caught my ear because i hear it all the time in the world of pageantry, and that is, um, I manifested it, or I, I set a goal and I prayed for it, and I, I actually looked it up. I, it's actually referred to as pantheism. When you, you kind right. of say, you, right. you, you, instead of God, you say the universe, or energy, exactly, and then you refer, exactly. and instead of faith, it's, uh, I manifested it. And so, right. do, do you find it as a female who expresses her faith openly and tries to stay close to the truth of the word, Mm-hmm. Do you find it mm-hmm. challenging in today's world to do that? And do you get pushback from anybody on it?
0: You know, I haven't gotten pushback on it only because I have, that's just authentically, that's how I've always voiced it. I never mix signals and I never, uh, I never mixed energy with the Holy Spirit. Like I, I was, I'm always very intentional with my words. Always. I think words are very powerful. God created the earth with words. Words are very, very powerful And I think the minute that you start sliding in words thinking that they're synonyms for each other, that's when things can get kind of dangerous. So whenever I am speaking to someone about stuff, instead of saying manifesting and all that stuff, it's like, you know, I don't, I personally, and and I've said this before, I don't believe in luck. I believe in God's will. So if it's something that, you know, is in alignment with his will. Then I want it. If it's not in alignment with his will, I don't want to even touch it with a ten thousand foot pole because it could be something that I have idolized within my own heart. And and honestly, it takes a long time to learn about that. It takes a long time to learn what your idols are and what in life you know pushes you in different directions. But um, for me, it's it's one of those things where you just have to be very careful of how you use your language with scripture and. And, and then not be annoying about it. Like if someone's sitting across from you at <laughs> coffee, and they're like, "I would to manifest this to happen," it's like, great, I, I appreciate that. But um, you know, there's there's so much more depth to it than that. And and yes, you can call things into your life. Absolutely. I mean, you can you can crave to have things come into your life that and that can either turn out really amazing or really. Poorly, but either way, you don't have control over that. You know, control is an illusion. So you'll you'll end up getting what God's will is, regardless.
1: Well, uh, in your podcast, as you mentioned, you use a word every week um, to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard this. Uh, I think John Gordon, the motivational speaker, I think he also uses this. Instead of saying like, you know, I want to set uh, New Year's resolutions, he says, why don't you just <laughs> simplify it down to one word and concentrate that, uh, on that. Right, uh, I, I, right. I looked up your podcast, it looks like this week the word is dare. So kind of walk me through mm-hmm. what you take people through with the one word.
0: Right. So I usually select uh, one of the words, and it's based off of the overarching theme of the scripture verse that I've selected. Um, and I want them to hold that word with them for the week and really challenge themselves in in different arenas, whether that's scripture-based, like reading the Bible, or how they interact with people, or what their, like, morning quiet time is, or evening quiet time, whatever they have with with God, Um, and however they do their their, um, meditation. So for me, the reason why I choose one word is because meditating is really powerful. It's something that um, I think a lot of us Christians forget to do because we misconstrue being still with being stagnant, and we don't take that time to really just breathe and be you know, set aside that time to just, okay, let me, let me just, whether that's writing or praying or, or whatever your, whatever people want to do. But um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll take the word, I'll dive into it, meaning what that word is, background wise, with Hebrew, you know, what the Hebrew base of that word is, or what the Greek, version of that word is, and then dive into the scripture, give a little bit of background with that, and then leave it on a note of like three takeaway points or a few takeaway points that you can carry with
1: you for the rest of the week. Well, you're obviously taking this Christian theme and and really applying it to your life here. You're pursuing a doctorate of education in Christian leadership, and then Mm -hmm. you are a fellow at the Falkirk Center at Liberty, which I believe is pretty new. Um, I I love the idea of it. I I learned about it just a couple of weeks ago. But talk about the Falkirk Center and kind of why you're a fellow and what it is.
0: I'm really excited about it because it's something that we really need. I feel as if not only uh, in today's world of, you know, entertainment industry, but also political world as well. A lot of people have been taking scripture out of context and using it in a way that better fits their narrative which again, like I was talking about, can be extremely dangerous and misleading, especially to non-believers. So for me, it's, it's the thing that's so important about the Falkirk Center is that we're able to create a space, if you will, where people can understand and defend their position as a Christian and understand and defend their rights as a Christian, their viewpoints as a Christian, but then also as a conservative uh, in a way that is understandable to other people, so that it's not confusing so for instance i know a lot of people talk about is jesus a socialist like those types of things and really breaking it down um from a scripture standpoint how to defend the gospel as this culture is shifting and changing um and also just to be able to have to defend your viewpoints on things without being inconsistent and without not knowing what the common thread is of how to um, defend scripture, God, and all that stuff.
1: So as you are getting a, a doctorate of education in Christian leadership, what, what would you like to do with that?
0: Right. So I, like I said, I felt that, and again, when I was really digging into this and podcast aside, if you're really going to preach the gospel or you going to share the gospel or really just share the word in a way where you're teaching people how to be leaders, you really have to be educated on it. It's not, and and I know, that I might get some backlash on this. and But I feel like there's a lot of us who are called, but it also specifically says not everyone is chosen. And you really have to prey on the fact that you are someone who's supposed to um, be a missionary or someone who is supposed to, share God's Word in a way where you're creating curriculum or you're creating um, a platform for other leaders to grow and to learn. So it was something for me that I really wanted to be able to dive into and be able to inspire people in a way that was biblically structured and supported by Scripture instead of me just, you know, like I was talking about earlier, just giving these two or three one-liners that are just like, you got this, God's got this, and everyone's like, yeah, we get that, but it, to me, what's the most important is reaching the people who are not Christians. I don't want to speak to the sheep. I don't want to speak to other people that think the same way I do. I wanted to be able to learn how to blend my secular world of what I'm into with business stuff, mix that in with my biblical leadership background, and really be able to um, use that, whether that's you know speaking and other things, like even with the Falkirk Center. But being able to be a voice for Christ in a way that's postured under a a doctorate rather than just being like, "Yeah, I went to bible study and and I've read a few you know different books here and there, so a little bit more deeper, I guess, from that standpoint.
1: Well, as you're putting your voice out there um, through the podcast, uh, being a fellow at the Falkirk Center, uh, and i I see this all the time, and I know a lot of the girls in the pageant world see it, and you know, sometimes are influenced by it and and that's something that you mentioned earlier. It's a little bit of the prosperity gospel, I guess what we'll call the right. the charismatic movement where you know, the overarching theme is God is a good God. And it's not that he's not right. a good God, but I'm sure you're challenged by some of the truths of Scripture as you're really diving in and mm-hmm. learning, like, how do I translate mm-hmm. this to someone when I'm speaking to them?
0: Right. No, for sure. And it's something that you have to really be able to break down in layman's terms and really be able to dig in and, and be able to capture them in a way that doesn't push them away um, and really be able to just give the truths and, and deliver it in a in a sense where people actually get it. Rather than being more confused after they leave you, and it's so, and as Christians, and when you've been a Christian for a long time of your whole life, you know you forget saying things like, "I've been called to do this." Well, a lot of people who are not Christians they're like, "Who called you? Like what, what? What do you mean someone called you to do this?" Or like, "You're like, you know, I my heart's really, you know, you know my heart mourns over this," and they're like, "Why is your heart mourning? Like." Going on. So it's, it's you really have to be able to think and put yourself in a position of a new believer or someone who's an atheist, you know, and, and really be able to defend your position of, of the gospel and, and not get caught up in these little one-liners that make you feel good. Because at the end of the day, yes, the gospel is a love story, and it's about how Christ died for us. But at the same time, it's also very brutal, and it's also very clear that we are sinners, and we are in desperate need of a Savior. Um, And so the minute that you try to shy away from the fact that we're imperfect and try to make ourselves seem as if we are perfect— you kind of miss the whole meaning of, of the Bible. It's one of those things. That I know a lot of Christian title holders and pageant girls have a tendency to use uh, religion as kind of a crutch for when they're, you know, competing. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Obviously, when you're competing, you're like, oh gosh, I pray that, you know, I win. Well, <laughs> that you should have a bigger prayer than that. From the standpoint of like, God, this is something that you want me to win. Great. If not, I surrender to you. And I think those are more powerful. Uh, Statements to be able to say like it's in God's hands, and if I receive this blessing, amazing, and you'll run with it and you'll do amazing things with it. But if you don't, that means God has something bigger in store for you and a different path, and it doesn't mean it's any less than what you'd have with with the title. But you know, we all serve a purpose with that.
1: Well, then honestly, you're probably the perfect person to ask this because I haven't had somebody on who can really speak to it, Um, and that is Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned when you get in, you know, and you know, girls can use religion as a crutch, so to speak. But I think right. one of the things that I, I know behind the scenes because I've spoke to a lot of them about it is uh, girls who do have very strong held Christian beliefs or faith mm-hmm. uh, are terrified of being on national television and at the top five questions and being asked a question like uh, Carrie Prejean was asked by uh, Perez Hilton back in 09, where he directly asked her on national television, do you believe in gay marriage? And they're terrified that, you know, if I go against what I believe and say it, that society will attack me and I will be hated upon and I probably my life will change forever. How would you recommend that they even begin to approach sharing their faith? Controversial in a way, questions. Yeah, yeah. Controversial questions in front of a million millions mm-hmm. of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to be honest, it's something that I, I mean, even in today's world, when regardless if you're on a stage or not, you kind of get. We were talking about that, you know, where even in the industry in itself, um, you know, there's times where on different modeling jobs, I would have to keep my mouth shut because. of the people on set have very, very different beliefs than I did. Uh, but when it comes to that specific moment, like a top five moment where you're asked that question, I think it's very powerful and important to continue to hold like at the end of the day, you winning that title in that moment might seem that it's everything, but you holding true to your convictions and you holding true, uh, to what's morally right in your heart and how you've been raised and what you know to be true. Um, And to state that is so much more powerful because you're speaking for those other individuals who might be just as scared to not speak up, who might be just as scared to not hold firm on those beliefs because they're scared as they go through this culture war that they might be disliked, they might lose out on XYZ, but there's so many more people that believe the same way that you believe. They just might not be as vocal about it. But if you're on stage and you get that get asked that question, I think the most appropriate way to handle it is saying, you know, I understand that there are many different viewpoints out there and I understand that this is a very controversial topic. But how I was raised and what I believe and what my convictions are and what the Bible says or however you want to phrase it. Um, If you put it back on the fact that this is what I believe, you're free to believe what you like to. We live in a free country, thank God. We live in America, one of the greatest places to ever live, Um, and how blessed we are to have multiple and diverse belief systems. But if you really put it back on the fact like this is how I was raised or this is what my convictions say, X, Y, Z, is to be I think that's the most appropriate way to handle it um, because the pageant platform can be very controversial I understand that at times and you don't want to obviously have a judge mark you down because you said something that does not fall in line with their their beliefs but at the same time why compromise yours just for that 10 seconds 15 seconds on stage or just for that sash and then once you give up that title you know you look back and you think to yourself gosh, like that's not really who I am, you know, and then you have to continue that mentality of what you said when it might not be something you truly believe in.
1: Have you ever had to deal with that in the public eye, um, even outside of pageants?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually looking at my pageant video uh, from Miss USA a little bit ago because we had to, for the Falkirk Center, we had to go through some of our old videos on YouTube and I came across my pageant video and I realized that some of the things that I even said in the pageant video, I have different positions on now than when I did then. And it's really, and it wasn't because I was trying to please someone, to be honest with you, it was because I wasn't as opinionated on it as I am today. And I wasn't as uh, well read up on it as I, as I am today. Um, And, and as you grow up, you learn to be more convicted in areas than others. And it's okay to, you know, transition a belief from, one thing and then realizing, wait, maybe this is what it really means and giving yourself some grace on that. But there have been times, yeah, where I would say, maybe I should have said that differently or maybe I should have been more clear about that than other times. I'm trying to think. I think I got asked a question in my private interview with Miss USA about gay marriage. And I think I answered it very simply where I was just like, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, but love is love. And I regret saying that because I could have had an opportunity to fill that bin further uh, but at that time, I was just so, I, again, I was like, I don't want to deal with this, this hot-bedded question right now. I just got to miss USA. I'm exhausted. We're eating terrible food at the buffet. Like, I can barely function and think. And so I was just like, I'm not going to deal with that question. So,
1: well, I think yeah. what's interesting is the way that, uh, I guess, culture has affected the way girls approach it. I think most approach that type of question right now in an uh, attitude of fear. Like they are just terrified (laughs) that it's going to come. And if it does, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Rather than I can't wait to tell people what I believe. I can't wait to share, you know, my viewpoint on. Uh, in this case, faith.
0: Right. And it's a battle. It's not something that's easy. And that's, you know, you almost ultimately become like a warrior for Christ from that standpoint. But, you know, the more and more that I realize it, you're almost a rebel in 2019, as we go into 2020, for believing that families should stay married, for believing in the things, the traditional things that you would think that would not be controversial or, or would not be rebel-esque like. It's, it, you're on the other side of it now where it's like anything that's traditional and you fight for that, you're almost a rebel on the outside, which is really ironic, but don't be scared of that. We're human. And the person on the other side, asking the question, if you, if you respond in a way where you're humble and you're like, you know, I really understand where you're, where whoever's coming from with that question, but this is what I believe. And you just stand firm on that. And then you surrender from there because there's nothing you can do. And if if you're really that scared about being asked that question, then don't compete. If that's really going to be something that deters you from, you know, being a successful title holder or even competing at Miss USA, I think some of the most amazing competitors have been the ones that are like, this is what I believe, like it or not, I'm going to stand firm on it. And that confidence really speaks volumes.
1: Well, I think you just gave a ton of girls who, you know, they may not be willing to admit it, but a ton of peace, you know, for the fact that I just learned how to attack that when it comes because I know a lot of them really do think about it whether they want to tell anybody about it or not. Uh, in the rest of your career, um, you have a sustainable clothing line called Proclaim Street Queer, uh, Streetwear. It's part of, uh, yeah. I, guess, I guess, a ministry that you're passionate about. Talk about that. Mm-hmm.
0: So I started that um, about a year and a half ago. Basically, in, in Sparknotes version, it's a mixture of two Bible verses. So it's a mixture of Isaiah 61, um, where we talk about the year of the Lord's favor and how it's really important that, you know, you take the time to share the gospel with people, but be able to, to realize that, like, we're all here for a purpose. We all have our own lane that we're in. Some of us might be the heart. Some of us might be a kidney. Some of us might be an arm, but we all play a very important role with the body of Christ. So for what I wanted to do with Proclaim Streetwear was when put to really put the power back into the purchaser's hands and the client's hands where... The, their purchase power when they when they buy a sweatshirt when they buy an item from us, they are gifted with a second one and it's up to them not as a consumer to really be able to make a difference in their community because that's what that's where it's gonna start that's where all the big difference is gonna be made is in the community um and in your your little area. And when you get that second sweatshirt, you can give it to someone in need that's on the streets during the winter season. And or you can choose for us to give it out for you. And we go out and do that in the streets of New York. Um, But I really wanted it to be an opportunity for people to get involved in their community and have fun with it. And Plus being a tomboy, I love like the streetwear vibe and the sneaker, all that stuff. So
1: so for people listening, is there a website they can go to to, to get that?
0: Yeah, for sure. proclanstreetwear.com, and they can go on there and uh, we're going to be getting our new stuff in here pretty soon. But yeah, it's, it, it's funny. Doing clothing is very interesting. It's not for everyone. <laughs> I've learned that a lot of people um, think that you can just go online and like green print a shirt, which is great, but that's, that's not where we were at. I wanted to do something that was made in the USA, which has been very difficult. Um, I wanted also it to be sustainably made so that everything was organic and um, plant-based dyes for the for the conscious consumer. And it's not easy, you know, being able to find that perfect mixture. And to the point, too, where the manufacturer that we were working with had been bought by Haynes. And then they shipped everything that was here overseas. So it's like all these big names are, are snagging these smaller manufacturers and sending them overseas. So it's kind of hard to be able to keep on that made in the USA brand line. But to me it's really important and I really didn't want to, you know, mess up with the ethos of the brand of being able to compromise one or the other. So for me I'd rather take that's why it took so long for us to make sure that our second season coming out uh, was done correctly, because I didn't want to compromise on that. I thought it was really important to, to maintain that with the brand.
1: I appreciate the attention to detail and quality. That's uh, important and certainly part of your story, I'm sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: Well, uh, lastly, you're, you're a host as well. I watched your reel this morning. I thought you did a really nice job. <laughs> I think you have a very uh, calming and welcoming <laughs> presence, and that's host Seriously, to host, thank you know, you. being honest. <laughs> so. Uh, you. Um, are you still doing more hosting is it something you want to continue to do
0: you know it's something that's fun on the side i used to do a lot of it in la and it was great and i had a lot of fun with it uh but at the same time um i just have so many different avenues of things that i'm involved in that if one thing slowed down another thing would pick up and vice versa um so if i had the opportunity to do it further absolutely whenever i get booked for it i look forward to it and i love it uh but if it's you know, it's not something that I, you know, I'm looking to make my career on. But, yeah, I've always <laughs> loved it. I love getting like you. I love being able to hear people's stories. I love, you know, learning about what makes them tick and what their differences are and, and what how they've gotten through the hard times, the good times, and everything else in between.
1: Let me ask you this from a hosting standpoint, uh, because this is <laughs> something that I, I quite, quite honestly, for you and everybody listening, I struggle with it. And that is right. uh, my values and morals and principles. In Hollywood, Mm -hmm. uh, are challenged uh, just with just about every job I'm presented with. Almost. Yes, I really I really struggle with like, do I want to represent this or do I even want to be the face of this? I I, it's, it's really uh-huh. difficult for me. Do you have that problem?
0: Yes and no. Yes, from the standpoint of I, I make it very clear to all of the agencies that I'm signed with, because I'm signed with multiple agencies throughout the country, that I will not do anything with nudity or that. I mean, like I draw my line in the sand because I know that I will have other career opportunities outside of the industry that I, you know, want to make sure that I don't do anything that's not me. Like, I don't want to compromise myself just to be able to get a couple more thousand dollars. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's tough because, you know, you have these larger brands that, you know, might want to sign you for something, but you're, but you're you know, taking the different route. Um, I've had times where, you know, I've had a commercial opportunity where they wanted me to be Uh, one of the women who was getting married to another woman and I said no and that was that like it wasn't I didn't think twice about it because I personally I've never kissed a girl I didn't want to kiss a girl I was like I'm not going to do that just for a car commercial and nothing against people who you know would do that that's just not me Uh, but you know there's there's for every brand that approaches you that gives you something that challenges your morals and values, there's something else out there that won't and that will fall in alignment with your stuff. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about the influencer world and the Instagram world is that there are so many brands out there that, you know, are looking for models and influencers to represent their brand authentically. And as millennials and other generations um, have seen with social media, authenticity is huge. And we can see right through it. And I know that some people take on way too many of those opportunities, like the tiny tea and all that stuff. But there are there are opportunities for you to really dive into that you're passionate about. And those are the ones that you should pursue. And those are the ones that you'll get the most notoriety out of because you love it. And you believe even the product and you're happy to model it versus like, hey, this is a brand that approached me that I'm just doing it so I can get the money. I would stick it out. I would, I would work with the groups and the organizations and the, and the companies that you really can get behind and model for it because that's, that's what's more important is your, your name's behind it and your name is worth a lot more than your compromise values.
1: Well, I love the advice and perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, all right. Course. So are you ready for the uh, 10 fun get-to-know-you questions? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, so here we go. <laughs> Number one, okay. is Erica a morning or a night person? Morning. Number two, what's your favorite hobby? Basketball. Number three, what's the one thing that annoys you the most?
0: Here's one that drives me insane is when you give people advice. And then they, like, don't hear any of that advice. (laughs)
1: Don't
0: do this. It's a really bad idea. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're really right. And two days later, it happens. And you're like, no, no, that's not what we had originally talked about at all.
1: (laughs) All right, number four. What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I had to live in China for a little bit. And when I was over there, um, I... I remember I was craving a cheeseburger for the life of me, and I finally got to a town where they had Burger King and McDonald's, and I lived off of McDonald's. And prior to that, I had thought that what I was eating as a hamburger was a hamburger, and I came to find out that it was actually a cow uterus. That's really good. It sounds even worse even saying it out loud. I have not said it forever. It was a fried, it's that's one because it was fried. It was one bite and I was done. Because I looked at my translator and I was like, I don't know what I'm eating, is this a burger? And he's like, no, no burger. I'm like, this is not good.
1: Wow, okay, well, that's a good one. That's, that's one of the most interesting ones I've ever heard. All right, number five, <laughs> what is one of your weird quirks?
0: I have a tendency to talk to a lot of people when I'm in public
1: like You're a lot
0: of people line, like don't look at me don't talk to me yeah I, to some extent where I'm it's I just love to I don't know like I'll be sitting down and I have people call me like this friend grenade where they'll stick <laughs> me in a room and I've don't never heard that there. and then they'll come back and have like five people that I'm talking to uh yeah I don't know it's a weird part. Mm, I should really be better about this
1: this Friend intention. grenade. I haven't heard that one. I think that needs to be a t shirt.
0: There we go. Let's do it. Sell it. <laughs> uh, all
1: right. Number six. Describe yourself in three words:
0: loyal, adventurous, entrepreneurial. Like I try to find the solutions and things. Yep. As much as I can.
1: <laughs> Very good. All right. Number seven. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why?
0: No one. I don't even want to, I, I, no one, I'm so happy with where I am and what I'm doing in life. I would not want to trade positions with, with anyone else because I have no idea what they've walked through and what they've been through and, and vice versa and from that standpoint. And I just, I'm very happy with, with where I'm at.
1: That's a great answer. I haven't yeah. heard that one. That's good. Okay. Number eight, what's your dream job?
0: I'm doing it. I, I, you know, I'm doing it. I, I know I'm a Jane of all trades, but it's one of the things where I love all of the routes that I'm in and all of the, the lanes that I'm in because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I want to be able to use everything that God gave me and, and just exhaust it to the point where I've, I've used used all of it.
1: Number nine, what is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning?
0: I try not to look at my phone because I heard that gives you anxiety.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs>
0: I know. They say, like, don't look at your phone for the first 15 minutes. I'm like, how do you do that when your phone's your alarm? Uh, when I, when I you know, I go and I make myself a cup of tea. All
1: right, last one, number 10. What's your favorite movie quote?
0: So many great movies. Like, my brain just jumped from Audrey Hepburn movies <laughs> to Stan Lodge, to Tommy Boy to, like, my weekend at Bernie's. Like, I'm going through all these movies that i love i love the great gatsby it's such a good movie Mm. yeah where he says so we beat on votes against the current born back ceaselessly into the past I don't know. I could give you a fun one, but it was, I would probably have to Google
1: it again. <laughs> no, that's good. Well, that's the 10 questions. You're off the hook. Thank you so much for answering. I know some of those were challenging.
0: <laughs> I know. They probably should be. That's not good.
1: <laughs> well, hey, I know you're a busy woman. I know you travel to like new cities every three days. So uh, I, and I know right. even, you know... Finding an hour to do this uh, was challenging, so I really do appreciate you doing it. and uh, I, I loved what you had to share today, and I, I think it's definitely going to make a difference for some of the girls listening.
0: You're awesome, Tim. Thank you so much, and honestly, thank you for having this type of podcast because I really wish that this was around when I was competing because all that we had were just books and chat rooms and you a know, coach that you paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for, <laughs> and it really would have been helpful to been connected to more girls' voices and opinions and what their advice was competing and then even after competing because a lot of people don't prep you for that and a lot of people don't even know how um and they just want to make money off of you versus just giving you um un unabridged advice to just like this is how it is and this is how you know what life is like so i really appreciate you and i appreciate you having something like this because it's really needed
1: well it's my pleasure and thank you so much Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Erica Franzve for her time. Now, if you want to follow Erica on social media, you can check out her Instagram. It's at Erica Franzve. Let me spell that for you. It's E R I K A F R A N T Z V E. Or you can go to her website, EricaFranzve.com, where you can also access her podcast, which, as we talked about, is called Midweek Rise Up, and I do highly encourage it for all women to listen to. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, and YouTube. Or you can just go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Matthew seven twelve. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets this is what you get. Have an awesome week, everybody.